Father in heaven, thank you for the infinite gift you've given us in yourself, in coming and living, walking among us, and dying on the cross, choosing us for salvation. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I, I want to ask a special request this morning. I want to ask that you'd open our eyes to a bigger picture of your love this morning. I ask that you'd captivate us in a fresh way. Lord, that you would lead us to a closer walk with you. Lord, we need that more than we need anything else. So God, I'm just coming to you. The words that I speak aren't capable of doing this. But I know that you can move our hearts to give us a greater desire for you this morning. Father, please, would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Would you speak to our hearts? In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. He was 65 years old. It's kind of old for a dad. But I imagine as he cradled that baby in the arm that maybe the same feelings that went through your heart when you first had your first child went through his mind. That love that you have felt for your child just began to throb inside of his heart as he looked at that child. And if you're a dad, I imagine that you know what wells up inside of your heart. I've, I've only heard about it, but I understand that you would do whatever it takes to protect that child. And I think mothers feel the same way and maybe even more strongly that way. But as he looked at that tiny, helpless baby in his arms and he, he realized that that baby couldn't do anything of itself, that baby would not survive he realized that it was his responsibility to care for that child and he was delighted to do that. He wanted to care for this child. And he was 65 years old. He'd known about fathers and grandfathers. In fact, this little baby already had a grandfather and a great-grandfather and a great-great-grandfather and a great-great-great-grandfather, and a great-great-great-great-grandfather, and a great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. I don't think any of you have ever had that. Some of you may have had a great-great-grandfather, but he knew what love and fathership was like. He'd seen it exhibited before, but now it took on a whole new feeling to him because now he was the dad. He'd seen his dad and how he related to his grandpa. He'd seen how his grandpa related to his great-grandpa. He had a great-great-great-great-grandpa himself who was still alive. Oddly enough, he was 687 years old at this point in time. Can you imagine? 687 years old. But that was okay because his great-great-great-great-grandfather would live for another close to... 300 years, uh, 57 years under 300 years. This man, in case you haven't guessed it by now, was a man by the name of Enoch. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 5. This moment changed everything for Enoch. 
Enoch had been a part of this godly lineage that you find in Genesis chapter 5, one of those chapters that when you're reading through the Bible, and maybe it's your first time, you, you remember the first time you read through the Bible, or when you read it through for the first time, you get to a chapter like this and you think, why is this here? Now, maybe we'll get to look at this chapter more in depth. There are so many beautiful things in this chapter, but Here in the middle of this chapter where it starts off describing how God created man in his own image, then it it goes on to say that Adam had a child in his own image. Here this godly lineage is beginning to be multiplied. This is the the godly genealogy where you find the the other genealogy uh, is a little bit different than that where it goes through uh, the descendants of of Cain, who, who didn't follow after God. But this is, is the noble line, the righteous line, who's following after God. Enoch was a part of that line. So we pick up the story in Genesis uh, chapter 5, and we'll look down in verse 19. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and he begot Methuselah. Methuselah, the one who lived the longest. And sometime we'll get to look at the specialness of Methuselah, the specialness of who he was. After he begot Methuselah. Notice that? It says, after he begot Methuselah. Meaning, things changed. Up until this point, when you're going through the genealogy, it just says, and then Enoch, or, and then Lamech begot Methuselah. Methuselah begot Noah, or Lamech. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting them all mixed up. But you get the point. It's just a basic genealogy going point by point down through these. But when it gets to Enoch, something's different. It says, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. There's this this description of what Enoch did for 300 years. It wasn't like Enoch just walked with God for a day. Or Enoch walked with God for the next 10 years of his life. But Enoch walked with God for 300 years and had sons and daughters So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Maybe you've been in this church for 65 years. Maybe you've been a Christian for 65 years. Or maybe that sounds like a really, really long time to you if you're younger than that. Regardless of how old you are today, there's something really clear here. That your relationship with God can radically change when you grasp who God is. This is what happened with Enoch. Even though he was faithful to God, even though he was keeping the commandments of God, even though he was walking in the way that God was choosing for him to go, when he had a child, everything changed for Enoch. And he began to walk with God. And notice the results of that. We keep reading In the story of Enoch, verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
the rest of the stories, it's, it says when they died, but, but not for Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he walked so closely with God that one day, all of a sudden, they began to look for Enoch. And Enoch was not to be found. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. It's amazing that this 300-year walk with God is encapsulated in just these few verses. Hebrews chapter 11 again picks up the story. The rest of the Bible, we don't find much about Enoch at all. But in Hebrews chapter 11, when Paul is describing the heroes of faith, he chooses to include Enoch as one of these heroes describes what took place in verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he should not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What an incredible thing that would be. What do you look forward to more in your life than that moment when you stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That moment when he tells you that you are to inherit these streets of gold, this beautiful city, that all of this was designed for you. To know that God is pleased with you. But notice what it says. Enoch didn't just grasp that God was pleased with him once God one day showed up and picked him up and took him to heaven, translated him to heaven. What does it say? For before he was taken... He had this testimony that he pleased God. He knew that he had this closeness with God. Now it's interesting. If you hold your finger here, we're going to come back to Hebrews chapter 11. We read some of the the urgent messages that Enoch preached to the generation around him. Because you might be thinking today, well, that's great. Enoch could walk with God back then. But back then, that was the Bible times. That was when people, they, they were just closer to God back then. But today, we live in evil times where people are living so wickedly, where we have all of this culture around us, and it's so much more difficult to walk with God today. But look at the sermons that God led Enoch to preach as he was walking with him. In Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude. It, it tells us uh, about the story of Enoch in verse 14. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Okay, when it says these men, it's talking about before this, all of those who are, uh, who are part of a love feast, who are part of rebellion, who are corrupt like brute, brute beasts. There's been a real description of the epitome of evil throughout the book of Jude that these people are living. And it says, so Enoch, at the same time he lived with this, this type of people, says Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict those all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words, flattering pride to gain advantage. These were not nice people that Enoch had to deal with, that were in society at that time. But Enoch was walking with God. And not only that, but God had given them this picture that he was coming back. And that there was going to be a judgment. 
and that we should live righteously before God because this life isn't everything. We were going to face a judgment. And so Enoch began to preach this message, this message that sounded urgent, this message that that sounded drastic to the people that he was preaching to. Now you can imagine Enoch is believing that Jesus is coming soon. Something that you and I believe. But Enoch walked with God, it tells us, for how long? For 300 years. I mean, sometimes when I think about it, I think, you know, if I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I would live today all out for Jesus. There's no questions. If I knew Jesus was coming next week, I I could easily sell everything and, and do whatever it took to go just radically preaching Jesus everywhere. Jesus was coming a year from now, I'd probably be pretty urgent about it. But if I could know for sure that Jesus wasn't coming and I was going to live for 80 years and maybe he'd come after my 80th birthday, then I might begin to think, well, you know, maybe I should enjoy life for a little while. Maybe maybe I should try to do this and then come back right before then and then begin to live for Jesus. It says in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 85, says, in this holy walk, talking about Enoch, was continued for 300 years. There are few Christians who would not be far more earnest and devoted if they knew that they had a short time to live. If they knew they had a year or two, of course we'd be more devoted. Of course we'd be all in. Or that the coming of Christ was about to take place. But Enoch's faith waxed the stronger. His love became more ardent, with the lapse of centuries. I don't even know how to comprehend that. Can you imagine thinking, Jesus isn't coming back. It's been 100 years. It's been 200 years. And I'm just going to keep on walking with Jesus. I want that kind of faith, don't you? And I want to know today that He is pleased with me. That I am walking with Him even though I don't see that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Could be Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I hope he's coming back. We have that same urgent message to preach for people to get ready because we don't know. All we know is that today is a day of salvation. But how do you live a life where you're in love with Jesus in an evil world for that long? I think about marriage. I think about getting married to Leah. And, you know, we have on our wall in our house, this sign that Leah saw it, and as soon as she saw it, she said, that has to go in our house. And honestly, when she brought it home and I saw it, I was like, okay, I don't normally care about the decor of our house very much, but that's a great sign because it's so true. I have a picture of it here. You can read it there behind us. It says, better together. That's how Leah and I feel about life. In fact, I have a little saying. I say, I will pay you not to go get another job. Because I love day by day that we get to live our lives together, that we get to work together, that she works here at the church constantly. To me, that is the greatest joy and privilege of my life, that I get to be with my wife and work with my wife. It's an incredible thing. I believe that life is better together, but sometimes I'll talk to people who have been married for a long time, and they're like, well, yeah, you've been married for nine years? Try 30 years. Try 40 years. Try 50 years. You know, after 50 years, you kind of get tired of looking at a person. 
Well, is that just what Leah and I are doomed to too? Is it eventually just going to be, well, yeah, it was fun in the early days, but eventually you just kind of get tired of it. So I did some research online. I thought, there's got to be hope. (laughs) I began to look and find the longest marriages in the world. I found several different ones, but the one that fascinated me the most was somebody by the name of Zetar is their last name, Mr. and Mrs. Zetar. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Zetar got married in 1932. You mathematicians can begin adding, but the interesting thing is that Mrs. Zetar, she was actually engaged uh, because they were of, I think it was Syrian descent, they were refugees from Syria, and she was engaged by an arranged marriage by her parents to a guy who was 20 years older than her. But she eloped with Mr. Zatar before that took place. And they got married. And this picture, I believe, was about 2013. You can go to the next picture. People asked what the secret to their marriage is. Now, if you do the calculations, they're working on their 85th year of marriage. I think in this church, we have the Kirks who are working on, I think it's 70 years. But they are working on their 85th year of marriage. He's 104 or 105, and she's 101 years old. The oldest married couple in the United States of America. 85 years. And look at them. Do they look sad? Do they look like they're tired of looking at each other? They are thrilled to be married. And I'm not sure why the quote doesn't come up very well on the screen there, but this is what Mrs. Batar explained about how to live a happy marriage. There's a lot of wisdom in these words. She said this, There are so many things in a lifetime that can make you very, very happy and very, very sad. Now, when you've lived 101 years, you know that that's true. Many things in her life, she says, they've made me very, very happy. And many, many things have made me very, very sad. They've lost two of their children. She says those are the saddest things that they've faced. But I imagine there's been many other things that have made them very, very sad and very, very happy. Then she continues by saying this, But if you can do it together, then it's happiness. Friends, it really is better together. Take it from the experts. They have lived 84 years in marriage and they say it's better together. And friends, I believe that that is what the Bible is trying to tell us in Genesis chapter 5. That Enoch's life got so much better when he realized that life is better together. Not just that it's better in relationships. It was through a human relationship that he began to recognize the value of love. But it was as he held that child in his arms that he recognized the infinite love of God. How much God loves us. In the book Conflict and Courage, page 29, it says this about Enoch and his walk with God, that it wasn't just a drudgery for Enoch as he walked those hundreds of years. It says Enoch, we read, walked with God 300 years. That was a long time to be in communion with him. He communed with God because it was what? 
agreeable to him. And he loved the society of God. He enjoyed the presence of God. He enjoyed walking with God. It wasn't like he had to wake up in the morning and say, ah, I've got to walk with God today. He loved God. He adored God. And it just kept getting better and better for Enoch. And that's my dream for my my marriage, that it just keeps getting better because I feel like it keeps getting better together. But even more than that, that's my dream for my walk with Jesus is a closer and closer walk that gets more and more intimate, that's more and more filled with joy. You know, in Romans 14 and verse 17, it, Paul tells us, and he's talking about the feast that they celebrated and the different rituals that they went through. And he said, don't you know that it's not all tied up in that? He says, the kingdom of God is not in this eating and drinking that you're participating in all these feasts. He says, but the kingdom of God is in righteousness and, joy and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about the rituals that you go through. It's not about all of the things that help you to experience God. But what it's really about is the righteousness, the peace, the joy and the Holy Spirit that God gives to you. Enoch began to realize this in his life. And I believe it was because he recognized the love of God. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 84, says the infinite unfathomable love of God through Christ became the subject of his meditations day and night. It was all he could think about. He was constantly thinking about the incredible love of God. And with all the fervor of his soul, he sought to reveal that love to the people among whom he dwelt. You see, as Enoch was there, cradling that child in his arms, recognizing that He had the strength that it took to take care of this baby. He and his wife were going to be able to provide a good home for this baby. And that he would do whatever it took to provide for the every need of baby Methuselah. He suddenly realized something. That God was his father. And that God had all the power in the universe. He created humankind. He loved humankind. He promised them a redeemer. So how much more was God a God of love, a God, a loving father like he was to Methuselah? How much more would God provide absolutely everything needed in his life in order to live a good life? How much more could he trust his heavenly father, knowing that his own heart was so in love with that child and that he would do anything for that child? James chapter 1 tells us that every good gift that is given in this world comes down from the father of lights, with whom there is no shifting shadow. You have a father in heaven. And he loves you. He adores you. And he gives you incredible gifts. This is exactly what, going back to Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us was the experience of Enoch. Hebrews chapter 11, we just read verse 5, where it says that he was taken away. He didn't see death. He was taken up to heaven because he obtained the testimony that he was pleasing to God. 
Interestingly enough, when Jesus was debating with people about whether the Father was with him in John 8, 29, he says, and the Father is always with me. He hasn't left me alone because I always do those things that please him. He said, I have the presence of the Father with me because I am living here on this earth in a human body in a way that pleases God. And so God the Father is always with me. I have the presence of God. That's how Jesus knew that he had the presence of God. And so I believe when Enoch, it said that he had the testimony that God was pleased with him, I believe that that means he had the presence of God with him. And the presence of God brings fullness of joy, Psalm 1611 tells us. So Enoch must have been filled with what the kingdom of God is, with peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. But verse 6 continues. It says, but, so don't miss this, but, but I want you to grasp this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is the key to Enoch's life. It's twofold. One, he believed that he is. This is directly in parallel with verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is that evidence, that testimony, that witness of things not seen that that we believe there is a God and it's very important that we grasp a right theology, that we look at science in the right way, that we interpret it through the lens of understanding that there is an infinite God of the universe. That is essential in our coming to God. We cannot walk with God. We cannot please God and yet doubt that He exists. And if you long for stronger faith, Go to the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17 tells us. But faith is not only the evidence of things seen, but it's also the substance of things hoped for. It's the, it's, it's the very substance of what you are hoping for in your life. Here it says, in parallel to that, one, God, we must be- believe that God is. He, he's alive. He's, there is a creator out there but also that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you're like me, I imagine that you may not have realized that you've been severely lacking in this kind of faith in your life. It's one thing to believe that God is. But James tells us that the devils believe and they tremble. They believe more than you and I sometimes that God exists. They're afraid of God. But that's not enough. It's not enough just to believe that God exists, that He is this powerful being, that He's off over there. But you also need to grasp that He is an infinite God of love. That He is your Father. That He would do anything for you. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now we might say, yeah, I I know that. I've read that verse. But do I really believe that? Do I really believe that God is that good? 
Because this is the essence of faith, not just to understand about God, not just to have a right theology, not just to know that God exists, but to come to God as my loving Father and to expect that in my life He's going to pour out such rich blessings that I can't even imagine them. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a prosperity gospel where it says that God's going to bless you all with millions of dollars in a huge house and, and you can expect to get a Cadillac if you pray for it. That's not in the Bible. You're not going to find that. But it does tell us that He will give us the very best things in our life. And even when we're facing trials, like we've been talking about in prayer meeting, when we're experiencing that, that pruning process, if you've been not able to join us at prayer meeting, I encourage you to join us. It's been such an encouraging time and I've needed it. God's brought these verses to me at just the right time. I've needed to recognize the pruning process in my life. That God's wanting to cut out some stuff in my life. Raymond says, me too. I've been feeling that same thing. And I know I've talked to a lot of you who have been feeling that way. But James says to count it all joy when you go through various trials. That's only possible if you realize that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That when you commit your life to God, that He's going to provide everything you need. And if there's a trial in your life, you can praise Him. Because all things work together for our good. To capture this a little bit more clearly, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, There's a verse, verse 9, that that we're very familiar with. Let's just go and read that verse first of all in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that an amazing verse? What do you think of when you think of that verse? If you're like me growing up, the thing I think of is streets of gold, a mansion. I think of dolphins that I'm going to ride in heaven. I think of that pet tiger that I've always wanted to have, that, that monkey who's going to not run away from me but will be my friend in heaven. I think of, of all these amazing things that I'm going to experience in heaven. And I think, wow, it's going to be even better than I can possibly imagine. Isn't that phenomenal? I mean, I can't possibly imagine. It hasn't entered my heart or my mind how wonderful heaven is going to be. And that's a good application of this verse. But I want to submit to you today that that is a secondary application of this verse. That's not primarily what Paul is talking about here. Because look at how the verse continues. Oftentimes we take one verse, we pull it out, and we say, look at how grand heaven is going to be. There's going to be streets of gold, but it's going to be even better than that because it's beyond what we can even imagine. But look here, what Paul goes on to say. Verse 10, but God has what? Revealed them. God has revealed them. They are known. God has revealed them to us through what? His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit who is God understands what's in God and He knows the deep 
secrets of God's heart. He knows the beauty that's there. He knows the love that's there. And he knows all of these things, which from a human fleshly perspective, we're not able to comprehend. We can't grasp it. But the Spirit understands. He knows these things. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God says, the Holy Spirit understands the rich blessings, the beauty, the reward that comes from seeking me. And He reveals these things to your heart. When you're filled with the Spirit, rather than with the Spirit of the world, you begin to recognize these things. Which makes sense for us to realize how it is that we walk with God. Because that's what I want to know. I want to know how I can walk with God like Enoch walked with God. I don't believe that that was an experience that's altogether separate from what you and I can have today. Because I read that Jesus is coming back soon. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17 says, Without holiness, no one can see the Lord. So by the end of Enoch's walk with God, I believe that he had experienced holiness to such a place that he was radically transformed and where God could take him to heaven because Enoch had become holy because that's the only way you can be translated. But there's coming a day where Paul tells us that in a moment, Jesus is going to come down and at the last trumpet, the dead are going to rise. But you and I, who are still living, are going to be caught up in the air forever to be with the Lord. You see, in that day, God is going to have Enoch's. God may even have Enoch's in this place right now who are growing in their walk with Him, who are living in habitual communion with God, which is really the process of sanctification, who are walking closely with Jesus moment by moment. I believe there are those of us walking this earth today that God wants to have the same exact experience that Enoch had. This is what He longs for you and I to have. This is what He longs for you and I to experience. This is why in Galatians chapter 5, it tells us, don't walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And it says that those who walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you walk with God? It's through the outpouring of the Spirit in your life. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you are not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're going to have a closeness with God. You're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life of love and joy, of peace, of righteousness, those things that, that, that come from the kingdom of God. Love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things will become a part of your experience as you walk in the Spirit. It's not a momentary process where suddenly you wake up one morning, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, and everything has changed for you. It's a growing process. It's a walk, not a sprint. It's a day-by-day communion with God that develops and enriches your life And it all takes place as you realize that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That He is good. That you're pursuing a good God. You're pursuing a God who has infinite blessings to pour out in your life better than you can grasp with your mind, better than has entered the heart of man. You see, that verse is talking about what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your and my life 
now. As we walk with Jesus today, Jesus wants to put the kingdom of God in your heart today. He wants you to experience the glories of heaven starting today. Not just on that day when He comes back, but He wants you to begin walking with Him in such a way that He could take you to heaven and it would feel like just an extension of what you've had in your heart here on earth today. And this comes as we recognize that He is our loving Father. In Romans chapter 8, go there with me, it talks a lot about walking in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8. But one specific verse ties this in to being sons and daughters of God. Verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's exactly what happened at the baptism of Jesus as Jesus came up out of the water. He knelt there on the bank. The Holy Spirit came down in form like a dove. And what did the voice from heaven say? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. When you are in Christ, the Father pours out His Holy Spirit and it witnesses to you that you are a child of God, that you are precious to God, that He is a giver of gifts in your life, that He wants to lavish His richest gifts on you to bless your life with joy, to bless your life with peace, to bless your life with righteousness. What an incredible thing God wants to do in our lives. Grasping that God is our Father is so crucial to be able to walk with God like Enoch did. That's what it took for Enoch to walk with God those 300 years after he had Methuselah. He finally grasped the love of God like he'd never grasped it before. And this began to be his obsession. All he could think about day and night was the love of God and how amazing it was. And this transformed every part of his life. He realized that life really is better together. It's better with Jesus. Steps to Christ, page 85, says this about our own life. And if we really understood that God is our Father... And God cares for everything and sustains everything that He has created. Each is tenderly watched by that Heavenly Father. No tears, look at this, are shed that God does not notice. Of course not. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when a sparrow falls. Of course He notices every tear that you've ever cried in your entire life. There is no smile that He does not mark. If we would, but fully believe this, all undue anxieties would be dismissed. Friend, you may feel theologically that you understand the concept that He is, that He's a rewarder of those who seek Him, that He's a heavenly Father, but if you've got anxiety in your life, you don't fully believe it. I know that hurts a little bit, but I have to question in my own life, Because sometimes I get anxious. Sometimes I wonder where the answers are. I don't know how to solve the problems that I'm facing, that our church may face. I don't have the answers. And if that stirs up anxiety in me, it's only because I don't really believe that He's my Father and that He cares for everything in my life. But if I truly believe that He's my loving Father, 
then all undue anxieties will be dismissed. Our lives would be not so filled with disappointment as now, for everything, whether great or small, would be left in the hands of God, who is not perplexed by the multiplicity of cares or overwhelmed by their weight. We should then enjoy a rest of soul to which many have long been strangers. Oh, how I long for more of this in my life. To experience the rest that comes from truly believing in who God is. Because if you think about it, if He really is the omnipotent God of the universe, and He really loves you infinitely, and cares about every detail of your life, and has promised that He's going to be there for you, what do you have to be worried about? Really? He tells you to bring all of your cares to Him, so we need to be much in prayer. We need to commit all of our cares to Him. We need to plead for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that He's a good Father. And He says, like any good Father loves to give good gifts, my Father will give you the Spirit when you ask for Him. We need to plead for Him to pour out the Holy Spirit in our life so that we can experience a closer walk. But friends, we have to grasp it, that this is His desire. This is what He wants for you. This is the dream that He has for your life. Not just that there will be things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and has not entered the the heart of man. Not just that you'll experience that on the sea of glass one day. He wants you to experience it now. Heaven begins now. In your heart as you accept Jesus, you accept His Holy Spirit and you walk with Him. In the book Desire of Ages, one of my favorite chapters titled The Invitation If you get a chance to read it, it's such a beautiful chapter. When I've been in times of turmoil in my life, when I've been in times of stress in my life, I've read this chapter every day because it's so powerful. At least the last couple paragraphs, if you can't read the whole chapter and you're feeling stressed out, read those every single day. It says this, As through Jesus we enter into rest, heaven begins here. We respond to his invitation, come learn of me, and in thus coming, we begin the life eternal. You remember the invitation that Jesus made. He said, come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. (laughs) It says you're yoked with Christ in service, that you're able to walk with Jesus. Heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. The longer we are in the heaven of bliss, the more and still more will be of glory will be open to us. And the more we know God, the more intense will be our happiness. As we walk with Jesus in this life, we may be filled with his love, satisfied with his presence. All that human nature can bear, we may receive here. Friends, you can have heaven now. Yes, we need to look forward to heaven in that soon coming day of Jesus. But don't get depressed because it hasn't come yet. You can have it now. Your heart can be filled with the presence of Jesus to such an extent that you can be filled with the joy of heaven. You can be filled with the peace of heaven. You can be filled with the love of heaven now. And when you're filled with that, that which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, people around you are going to recognize that there's something different in you and they'll want the same thing. We've got to walk more closely with Jesus. This is the only way that heaven makes sense. If you think about it, it would get old 
to have a mansion and the streets of gold and, and beautiful city and, and all kinds of beautiful animals and plants and all that stuff. After enough time had gone by, a hundred thousand years, a trillion years, a, a trillion trillion years, eventually that stuff would get old. I've talked to people before who said, I'm just not sure that I would want to live forever. I just don't know if I'd really want to live forever. I mean, life really isn't that great. And it's not worth living forever except for in pursuit of the one who is the rewarder of those who seek him. Only in delighting in God throughout eternity will we find the fullest satisfaction in our lives. Only in delighting in God will heaven be worthwhile. Friends, heaven is a ceaseless approaching to God through Christ. And it begins now. You and I can walk with Jesus today. We can take His promise to us to come to Him and we can have rest of soul to which many of us have long been strangers. You and I can understand like Enoch understood that He's a good, good Father. That He loves you. And that He'll care for every part of your life. And that what we need to do is trust our lives radically in His hands. And when we do, we're going to be able to testify radically to this world like Enoch did. That there's a coming judgment. You've got to get ready. There's a God of love coming back. We've got to be fully His. Friend, do you want to walk more closely with Jesus? It's my desire that the next eight weeks, we would focus on this. We would focus on this inner heart revival that is the most important thing possible for our church. Because when we come to life, then everything else will make sense. Then we won't just be going through the motions, but we will experience the kingdom of God, which is righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Friend, there's nothing more important than your walk with Jesus. So, I want to invite you. Make sure that you join one of these life groups. Make sure that you, you take the time to, to study through the concepts on this study guide and you read some of the quotes on the back that talk about some of the amazing gifts that God wants to give you. You read some of the further reading there on the back. God has more for you than you can imagine. Eye has not seen it and ear has not heard it. He's got a bigger and grander experience for you and I. Will we take him up on it? I just want to invite you to join me on your knees if you're able and just asking him to lead us in this journey, asking that He would give us a closer walk with Him. That heaven would begin now in our hearts. That we would experience the kingdom of God now. Father in heaven, thank You that we can call You Father because of Jesus, because of what You've done in our lives. That we can approach Your throne with boldness. And God, what we're asking for right now more than anything else is a closer walk with Jesus. We see it in the life of Enoch. We see it in the, the great men of the Bible. And God, we want it for ourselves. We desire this walk with You that, that we could realize that life is better with You no matter how long it takes. That we'd be happy to live on for 300 years on this sinful planet because life is so good in Your presence. And we just enjoy Your love in our hearts. Lord God, 
hear the cry of our heart right now. Wherever we may be at, maybe we're at the point of not even knowing much about you. Or maybe we've walked with you for years and we just haven't really grasped that we could have more, that there was a better experience for us. But Father, wherever we're at right now, we just want in the silence of our own hearts to plead that you would give us a hunger for more, that you would give us an expectation that you will do more, and that you would guide us as we seek a deeper walk with you. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving us alone. That we don't have to walk in our own strength. But that you invite us to experience rest, peace that passes understanding, joy that is overflowing. Oh Jesus, we want to walk with you. We want to believe that you are all that you say you are. And all that you will do all that you've said you will do. Father, bless us as we pursue you together. Bless each life group, Father. And if there's some here who are hesitant to join a life group, Father, just show us if this is the right thing for us. Give us the courage to branch out and to bind together, to pursue you together. Lord, bless my friends as they go out this week to pursue a closer walk with Jesus. Because I believe, Father, like you've promised, that that will radically change every part of our lives. Lord God, pour out your Holy Spirit on my friends this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.